we had left that morning, it was cold and rainy and gray in uh, Portland before we got into the airport. And when we landed in Hawaii, immediately as you go through the exit doors of the plane and into the airport, even though you're inside, you can just smell Hawaii. It's February 2020. Ursula Berliner, her husband, and her teenage daughter have escaped chilly Portland, Oregon for a slice of paradise. We're very excited. I immediately begin looking for where I can buy flower lays, because <laughs> I'm just that kind of a, a dorky mom that I feel like we need to immediately have flowers around our necks, which embarrasses my husband and my daughter, but I know they secretly enjoy it. And we grab our bags and we get them right away and we're wearing these ridiculous lays and we know we need to rent our car. And so we're walking along there and literally about 10 steps out of the airport on our way to the shuttle, I see this guy walking by and it's Chad Daybell. Ursula had been following a bizarre and disturbing case about a couple from Idaho, Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow. The FBI and police across the country are searching for two missing children from Rexburg, Idaho. They may be in serious danger. Seven-year-old Joshua Vallow and 17-year-old Tylee Ryan have been missing since September. Their newlywed parents have been on the run for the past month. By Ursula's own admission, she'd become a little obsessed. And as Ursula stepped off that plane in Hawaii, she had no idea her obsession and her real life were about to collide. There is no doubt that it's Chad Daybell with his, you know, kind of sloping chin and his kind of smug face and his ridiculous kind of almost a buzz cut hairdo. And so I look around and sure enough, Lori Vallow, Daybell, is right there with him. Her hair was just absolutely a mess of, of tangles. She obviously hadn't been keeping the color up, looked really bedraggled. She herself was wearing really heavy, all dark clothes. And you know, it was 80 something degrees and sunny, and she had a lot of makeup on lots of kind of black makeup around her eyes. It was just very extreme. Everyone wanted to know where the kids were, and police were trying to track down Chad and Lori. I had this really strong concern that they would flee again because that was the first thing they did when the children went missing and the cops first came to check it out after the grandparents had called for a welfare check. And then the next day when the police came back, they were gone and nobody knew where they were. As the passengers wound their way through the baggage claim, Ursula and her family headed towards the car rental and noticed that Chad and Lori were heading in the same direction. In fact, the infamous couple got on the same shuttle as Ursula and she could tell that the vibe between them was not good. They didn't talk at all to each other, not when they were walking to the shuttle, not when they were on the shuttle. They didn't look at each other. So it definitely seemed like whatever was happening, it was really tense. 
and I'm looking around thinking, what do I do? What do I do? I don't think that they are supposed to be here. The children are still missing. I mean, all of these things, every little detail of the case is going through my head, and I'm thinking, I can't, I can't let them go. I can't let them go. They were all walking towards the car rental building, and Ursula watched as the infamous couple went inside. And I'm frantically trying to get a Wi-Fi signal because, you know, again, a million things in my head. I'm thinking, do I call 911? Are they going to think I'm kind of crazy? Is that the right place to call? So I'm trying to get a Wi-Fi signal, trying to find a phone number for the non-emergency police line in Maui. The clock was ticking. Ursula decided to take some pictures. She was very aware of the fact that I was standing there taking pictures of them. It really didn't bother her. And she was there looking right at me through the glass. I mean, we were just feet away from each other. And so I looked at her and I just, I said, mouthed because there was glass between us. I see you. And I kind of did that dorky move where you point at your own eyes with your two fingers and then you point back at her. (laughs) I see you. And then I mouthed, you know, where are your children? Her look was just so, it was chilling. She just gave me this smirk, kind of a sideways smile where she lifted up the corner of part of her mouth and raised her eyebrows and shrugged her shoulders with her hand up and kind of shook her head um, as if to say, I don't know, where do you think they are? Two children were missing. Their mother was refusing to help find them. The search for Joshua, or JJ as he was known, and Tylee was national news. But the spotlight was increasingly shifting onto Chad and Lori. The news blared about the newly married couple whose former spouses had both recently died under unusual circumstances. Headlines focused on their strange beliefs Doomsday cult mom went over the edge before kids disappeared, and Lori Vallow saw her now-missing kids as zombies. This story raises so many questions. Why would a mother not help police find her kids if she knew where they were? Why do police think it has something to do with religious fanaticism? Why do others think that it's about infidelity or brainwashing or greed? I'm going to be asking these questions, and so many more, starting with... Just who is Lori Vallow? I'm Sarah Trelevin, and this is Madness of Two. An original podcast by USG Audio. Well, our first inkling that something was wrong was... Vicia was pulled out of class by a detective in early December, and asked about Tylee and JJ. Echo Itaaihau's daughter had been best friends with Tylee since fifth grade. They'd been inseparable, but recently drifted apart when Tylee changed schools. She came to me at lunch and she just said, yeah, the weirdest thing happened. A detective was asking me about Tylee and JJ. And we when the police showed up in Vicia's class, 
Echo's daughter hadn't seen Tylee in over a year. She texted her to say, hey, this is, you know, this is weird. What's, what's going on? But the text didn't go through. She hadn't really been that active on social media for a while, so she couldn't get a hold of her that way either. Echo started searching around online for any information about the kids. On Facebook, she learned that a few weeks earlier, they'd been reported missing. That Lori wasn't being forthcoming about their whereabouts. No one had seen or heard from JJ or Tylee in weeks. And it was clear that a lot of people were starting to fear for their safety. And, yeah, at the same time, you know, just hopeful that, oh, well, you know, since Lori went kind of extreme in the church, maybe they're tucked away in a compound somewhere, you know, for the last days, you know, getting ready for the end of the world kind of a thing. For Lori, the end of the world meant the second coming of Christ. Echo says her friend had grown obsessed with it. it it's the only thing that did make sense, it, you know, because we, we just couldn't fathom anything else. Lori and Echo met because their daughters were friends. They lived in a suburb just outside of Phoenix and were members of the same church. They were both devout Mormon mothers focused on God and family. I very much appreciated that Lori was another, you know, a religious example for Visea and could help her, you know, just just have those religious talks that sometimes if your parents are giving you those religious lessons, uh, you're not as willing to to take them to heart or listen to them because, you know, they might be kind of boring. But if somebody else that you admire and appreciate is also reinforcing those religious beliefs and values, then th then you're more likely to, to take them to heart. If you're familiar with, you know, the LDS home or the LDS family, the LDS culture, it's not just religion, it's your life, it's your whole everything. LDS is short for The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mormons are members of the LDS Church. And for Lori, it was the only thing she ever knew. A life oriented around family, temple, and preparing for the eventual return of Christ. I am a nurse in Portland, Oregon. Been here about 27 years. But I am originally from Southern California. And I went to high school and was in choir with Lori. Lori grew up in a devout Mormon family in Southern California with two sisters and two brothers. You know, very straight arrow. You know, it was family and church and school. And I would have They lived in an average suburban home with a basketball net in the driveway. Lori was a pretty cheerleader with good grades. So it would be the big 80s Aquanet, blonde hair, curled blonde hair, uh, Stonewashed denim miniskirts, white Reeboks. <laughs> Slouchy socks. <laughs> uh, total 80s neon colors. Very little makeup. She didn't really wear a lot of makeup. She didn't need to. She's just so pretty. But her early life wasn't perfect. Friends say her parents' marriage was turbulent. And she had a sister who died young. Through it all, Lori always had her faith. A friend remembered that Lori would get up early to go to temple before classes. And she talked about wanting to go to Brigham Young, a Mormon university. But there's no evidence Lori ever went to college. Instead, Lori became a fitness instructor, a hairdresser, and a competitor in the 2004 Mrs. Texas pageant, where Lori, her blonde hair swept up in a ponytail, buoyantly described herself as a ticking time bomb. 
she didn't win. When people talk about Lori now, they almost always mention her looks. I thought of Lori and their family as kind of like, you know, like the beautiful people. You know, she was gorgeous. She was, they had, you know, they had money and they seemed like just a really awesome family. You know, the kind of family that other people strive to be. When Echo and Visea knew Lori, she was married to a successful businessman named Charles Vallow. But Charles was her fourth husband. Instead of spending her early adult years going to college, figuring herself out, Lori got married. And then married again. And again. She married the first time when she was barely out of high school. That didn't last very long. She got married a second time, three years later, and she had her first child, a son named Colby. In statements to the media, Colby, now in his 20s, has said that Lori was an all-American supermom, loving, warm, upbeat, and fiercely protective. For him, the sun rose and set with Lori. Tylee was the product of Lori's turbulent third marriage to an older man named Joe Ryan. And JJ was adopted during her marriage to husband number four, Charles. Lori's older brother, Adam, told me that Lori's marriages were marked by abuse. And by the time she was in her 30s, she had really low self-esteem. Even if to most people, she still seemed like the same sweet, bubbly Lori. Like everyone else, Mormons sometimes get divorced. But Mormons typically view their marriages as eternal. They transcend life here on Earth. And five marriages would likely raise eyebrows inside the community. Still, Lori's dedication to her religion was never questioned. To many, she was the perfect Mormon wife and mother. To others, it was a bit more complicated. My oldest daughter and I were in the kitchen with Lori, and Tylee was in her high chair eating. This is Lori's former sister-in-law, Annie Cushing. She's Tylee's aunt, and she remembers a time when she was visiting Lori and Joe. So my brother had built this salon on the first floor so that Lori could have clients come in and she could do their hair without having to, you know, put Tylee in daycare. And while Lori was talking to us, she went into her salon and then she came out and she had a bowl and a brush. And while we were talking, she just started coloring Tylee's hair. And so my daughter and I kind of looked at each other because that was just so unusual, you know, to see someone actually coloring a baby's hair. All things, beauty, success, those types of things just seem to be kind of important to her. Dyeing a baby's hair is a bit weird. But that wasn't the only thing that Annie found a little strange about her sister-in-law. So she had told me one time that God told her that she was going to be on Wheel of Fortune. And she didn't have any idea how you would do that. But, you know, God somehow led her to find out all of this information of what she would need to do. And she went and auditioned and was actually chosen for Wheel of Fortune and won some money. 
This woman was drop-dead gorgeous and had this very effervescent personality. Gopher, Doc, Isaac, and Captain Steubing. Yeah! And so it just kind of stands to reason if she went and auditioned for Wheel of Fortune that there would be a pretty good chance that she could be chosen. I have a wonderful husband, Joseph, at home who is watching our two beautiful children, Colby, who's seven, and Tylee, who is one. And so, you know, I just wouldn't be in the practice of assigning, you know, some kind of heavenly gravitas to fortuitous you know, opportunities. But that's how Lori processed things. What do you guys like to do for fun? We like to play all kinds of sports on our three acres. Okay, sounds like you have a nice life there. We do. Congratulations. Thank nice you. to have you with us. Dying a baby's hair or believing that God was laying out a path for you might seem harmless. But today, Annie wonders if they were early signs that something wasn't quite right. And so, you know, what I kind of saw in seed form early on with Lori, I think over time, that just kind of grew. Another seed friends and family saw grow in Lori was her obsession with the end times. As a Mormon her whole life, Lori would have been comfortable with the idea that Jesus Christ was destined to one day return. Mainstream Mormon doctrine predicts that before he arrives, there will be chaos. Wars will break out. Natural disasters will devastate humanity. And there will be an ultimate battle between good and evil. Family members say Lori's interest in the end times started to verge on obsession while she was still married to Charles. She started to listen to fringe doomsday podcasts and read books that predicted not only the end of the world, but exactly what was going to happen. It terrified Lori. And she told Annie that she sometimes thought it would be better to just put the kids in her car and drive them off a cliff to avoid what was coming. I believed in God despite what I was going through. And now that I can read the Bible for myself, I can see that they just created their own religion. This is the story of a mother who claimed to be an emissary of God and a daughter's search for the truth. House of Prayer. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. We're gathering together as saints, as brothers and sisters, and preparing for the second coming of Christ. In 2018, Lori opened up about her growing obsession on a podcast called Time to Warrior Up. Um, I feel like that I work for the Lord. I feel like I have turned my life to Him from circumstances that have happened to me in my life. You can hear the smile in Lori's voice, even as she alluded to vague personal challenges, her own rock bottom that encouraged her to turn more deeply towards religion. Yeah, we're all here supporting each other because we have all been to the bottom rung and the Christ pulled us out of that. As Lori's beliefs intensified, she began to surround herself with like-minded people. It was through this network of fellow travelers that Lori would meet the man who would alter her life forever. Chad Daybell was a fixture of the Second Coming Circuit. 
He was well known as an author and prophet, someone who could connect with the spirit world and see into the future. The two met at a second coming preparedness conference in Utah in late 2018. Chad had been invited as a guest speaker. Lori told friends she was immediately attracted to him on a spiritual level. I think Chad just gave her what she desperately needed to hear, that she was special, she was this warrior, and she was going to help lead in the second coming of Christ. Echo, Lori's friend from Arizona, saw it too. We felt like she was, you know, looking for a strong religious LDS, you know, leader type man. And with with her previous husbands, they weren't in the church until they, you know, until they met her and then they would join the church because it was important to her. And here Chad was this, you know, in her eyes, this author, this LDS author who had served a mission. He was strong in the church because he had that sort of a quiet way about him, his soft, gentle, quiet voice. I don't know what she (laughs) saw him in, in him other than that, you know, other than his spiritual, she considered him a spiritual giant, I guess. And this spiritual giant saw a spiritual connection. Chad told Lori that the two of them had been married in previous lives, more than once. They were destined to be together. Whether it was that sweet pickup line or something else, Lori and Chad were smitten. But they were both still married to other people. At least for now. Nine one one. Where is your emergency? This nine one one call is from July twenty nineteen. You need police or paramedics. Lori's brother Alex Cox made it from inside Lori's house. Uh, both. I'm in police and an ambulance. What's the emergency there? Uh, there was a. I got in a fight with my brother-in-law and I shot him in self-defense. Alex went on to say that Charles had grabbed a baseball bat, first threatening Lori and Tylee, and then hitting Alex on the back of the head. Okay, let me get the medics on the phone. Alex told police that shooting Lori's husband was his only option. And is he hurt or is he alive? Or? Yeah, there's blood. He's, he's not moving. Charles died at the scene. Okay, just have a seat right there. When police arrived, Alex came out of Lori's house in a T-shirt and jeans, his hands up. You have some ID on you, sir? Yeah. This was all captured on police body cam. What happened today? How did it get to this? Alex sat on the curb outside Lori's house, holding a cloth to the back of his head. He had just killed a man, but was extremely calm. What's going on? What happened? He came, to, he came at me with a bat. Okay. Was he living here or visiting? No. He came to pick up his son. That's when Alex shot him. Okay, is the son inside? No. My sister took him to school. Okay, so it was just you at the house? Yes. Lori and Tylee arrived back home while police were still questioning Alex. Does your husband live here or no? No. Lori was wearing workout gear and oversized sunglasses, her hair perfectly coiffed. Okay, you guys know that? Separated. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Lori was also strangely calm. There was no obvious grief or shock. She almost seemed amused, like she was getting a parking ticket. How long have you lived here? Like three weeks. Oh, geez. 
Yeah. Okay. That's why the neighbors don't know us. Gotcha. <laughs> like, hi, neighbor. Sorry. Kylie, dressed in shorts and a t-shirt, stayed mostly quiet while the police were talking to her mom, her arms folded tightly across her chest. Oh, young lady, let me just get your information. How old are you? 16. 16? Blonde, too. You guys, I'm going to as a blonde young lady here. And then blue eyes? Yeah. You have very blue eyes. That's not under debate. Eventually, police wrapped up their investigation and left. Neighbors said that after Charles's body was taken away, Lori hosted a pool party. Alex was never charged. It took less than a month for Lori to move on to the next phase of her life. She packed up Tylee and JJ and moved almost 1,000 miles north to Rexburg, Idaho. Rexburg just happened to be where Chad Daybell his wife Tammy, and their five kids lived. Tammy was known as both cheerful and quiet. She raised ducks and worked as a school librarian. She wore glasses and little makeup and kept her brown hair short. Tammy and Lori could not have been more different. Lori and her kids settled into a townhouse less than 10 miles from Chad's home. Friends say it was obvious the two were romantically involved. They were enamored with each other and openly affectionate. But if Chad being married gave the new couple any pause, soon nothing would be standing in their way. Two months after Lori moved to Rexburg, Chad's wife Tammy died in her sleep. The cause of her death was under investigation for more than a year. Lori's husband Charles was dead. Now Tammy was gone, and it was only then that people started to notice something else. Shortly after moving to Rexburg, Lori's kids seemed to be missing. Hi. Hi. You, Lori. Lori, I'm Lieutenant Ball, Police Department. How are you? You got a minute? Two police officers were standing outside Lori's front door. You alone, or that help? Uh, my brother's here. Okay. They were there to check on the kids. This is Detective Stubbs. Hello. So, we're here. Wow, this is a big mess. I just talked to the guy on the phone. And what did he ask you? He was just saying that he wanted to do a well check on JJ. Family members had been trying to contact the children for weeks, with no luck. So, JJ would be where? He's in Arizona. Who's he with in Arizona? He's with one of my friends in Arizona. Under pressure to account for the children's whereabouts, Lori started making up excuses. She told people that Tylee was at college. She said JJ was with her friend in Arizona. So, who's the friend he's with? My friend Melanie. Her son has autism. Her name is Melanie Gibb. I gave him all the information on the phone. Okay, so he can call. Yeah. Discord. Yeah. What is all this? We're, we're a little what concerned because, well, the officers who were here earlier yeah. were checking, and they got a bad vibe. Like something was going on here because when the police pressed just a little, Lori's casual, easy breezy attitude gave way. 
now she was worked up. Those reasons. So I look like a suspect, but I am not a good person. I've raised all of my kids. I've done everything that I'm supposed to do in life. But everyone is causing me trouble right now. Lori convinced the police that there was nothing to worry about. Okay, get out of here. Thank, thank, you. thank you. See ya. But there was something to worry about. JJ was not with her friend Melanie, and Tylee was not away at school. Back in Rexburg, the search for the kids continued. FBI is now helping in the search for two missing children from Idaho who investigators say may be in extreme danger. They believe the parents' mother, Lori Vallo, and stepfather, Chad Daybell, could have the answers in this case, but police haven't been able to track them down. Community members in their Idaho town who knew Chad say they never would have expected this. In December 2019, police named Chad and Lori as persons of interest. Just over a week later, they would put out another bulletin, this time stating that JJ and Tylee's lives were likely in danger. The extended family was getting desperate. JJ's grandparents announced a $20,000 reward for the children's return. We want them back. We want them back in our family. The police executed search warrants on Lori and Chad's Rexburg homes. Lori's oldest son, Colby, pleaded with Lori to cooperate with authorities in a YouTube video simply titled, Mom. I think what I want more than anything is for you you have the power to end this. You have an opportunity to put this all to rest. Colby's emotional plea underscored the impact of Lori's silence. Her refusal to provide details about JJ and Tylee was tearing the family apart. For everybody, for the kids, for yourself, for all of us, this can end. So please. But Chad and Lori had disappeared. What no one knew at the time was that Chad and Lori had run away to Hawaii, where they got married. No one but the couple attended the wedding. But there are now infamous pictures all over the internet. Lori with her long blonde hair, dressed in a form-fitting white lace dress, Chad in white pants and shirt, strumming a ukulele, posing on a white sand beach, both wearing purple orchid lays around their necks. If you didn't know what was going on back home, you would think they were just two middle-aged people in love. Listen, just tell people what's happening. There's people around the country praying for your children, praying for you guys. But not long after Ursula Berliner spotted the newlyweds at the airport, the media found them too. That's great. That's great. Chased by a reporter and his cameraman in a parking garage surrounded by bright green tropical palms, Lori and Chad walked together, holding hands. You have nothing to say? Lori with a tight smile, glancing up at Chad. Chad kept his lips so pressed together, they actually looked glued shut. Did you do something to your children? Are your children still alive? That's a simple question. I've got three kids of my own. In Hawaii, Lori was served with a court order and a deadline to produce Tylee and JJ. She never did. 
So she was arrested on child abandonment charges and extradited back to Idaho. Chad returned home to Rexburg on his own. The tragic events that have unfolded over the last several months have not only left myself, everyone here, and so many around the world at a complete loss for words, but with also aching hearts. Where are the children? Such a simple question with such a a complex answer, and in a way, no answer at all. For most of us, there has been an unwelcome sense of vulnerability that something like this could happen in one of our own neighborhoods. The search for the kids went on for six months. And then, everyone's worst fears were realized. JJ and Tylee's remains were found, buried close to each other in shallow graves. Their graves were near the pet cemetery, in Chad Daybell's backyard. That was obviously, you know, really, really difficult. And I had to, I had to tell Vicia because I didn't, I didn't want her to hear it, you know on the news or anything. So yeah, that was, that was an awful day. After the bodies were found, Chad was also arrested. Today, both he and Lori are in custody in Idaho. They have both been charged with the murder of Lori's children and pleaded not guilty. This story is complicated. It's sensational. It's disturbing. It's a story fit for headlines and news magazine shows. Pretty blonde mom goes crazy and her kids end up dead. But there has to be so much more to it than that. In addition to wanting to know what happened, I also want to know why. How did Lori go from perfect Mormon mom to someone accused of doing such terrible things? Was there something about Chad and Lori together, that their pairing was like adding gasoline to a flame? Or was it something else? Were Chad and Lori in the grips of religious fanaticism, convinced that their alternate doomsday reality was a truth that only they could see? That's what we're going to look at next time on Madness of Two. We'll dig deep into Lori and Chad's beliefs and Rexburg's echo chamber of weird fringe theology. it became scary for us to become aware of how prevalent extreme beliefs were as we looked into this. Not so much that there was a, there, we were living amongst a cult, but that we were living next to people who might have views that went way beyond our own. The fact that they had been taken so far and that there was such faith that they were correct. It was scary, and it remains scary. This episode was produced by Beth Karras and me, Sarah Trelevin. Additional producing by Pacent Matar. Our production assistants are Danya Ali and Emily Morantz. Mix and sound design by Philip Wilson. Voice coaching by Athena Karkanis. Our executive producers are Kathleen Goldhar, Katrina Onstadt, and Stuart Cox. Our USG audio team includes Jessica Grimshaw, Josh Block, Jennifer Sears, Daniel Welsh, and Craig Bloom. Theme music composed by Boombox Sound. This is an Antica Productions podcast in collaboration with USG Audio. 
For more information, go to usgaudio.com.